Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to our midweek study uh, through Psalms. Next week is going to look a little bit different. Just a little reminder, next week we're starting a brand new series called Grace and Truth. And it's going to be started, kicked off by none other than Pastor Doug. And so tell your friends and your family and your neighbors to come on out as we dive into the person of Jesus and what does that look like in our lives to be full of grace and truth. And so dinner is at six o'clock. It's all free. And then study is at seven. We're not live streaming the Wednesday night service. We're going to hopefully, Lord willing, meet outside in the shade. Don't worry, in the shade. And um, we will post it later on throughout the week in case you miss a week. But I want to encourage you, come on out. It'll be a great time. But tonight we're finishing our study through the first book of Psalms. If you were here and you remember our first time together, I laid out kind of the structure of Psalms and said that it was divided into five books, if you will. It's not written in chronological order, but rather it's been arranged into five different books or collections. And the first book or collections, if you will, um, of Psalms is what we've been looking at since January, all the way since January, book one, and that's Psalms one through chapter 41. And then um, the second collection is Psalms 42 through 72, and then so on, all the way through Psalms 150. Aren't you glad that we're not going through 150? It would have been a lot, but who knows? Maybe we'll pick up maybe next year or this fall. We'll see. But tonight we're going to look at chapters 40 and 41. Let's dive right into chapter 40. There's a lot of good stuff here. I'm hoping we won't be too long, but it says the header for the choir director is a Psalm of David. Again, just this is for public worship. It's as if David is um, journaling his relationship with the Lord. He says, oh, guys, 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 include this one for our times of corporate worship. You know, when the nation comes together, this is one that I want included for us all to sing. And so chapter 40, verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry and he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. I love this. We're going to just pause right there. Again, right here, David is recapping uh, this time in his life when he was in trouble. He's looking back and he's just thinking upon it. Um, it says here that he was in a pit of destruction or he was in the miry clay. And obviously David is using figurative language to express this particular season of his life. And he says, I feel like I was in or I'm in a pit of destruction, a pit, a deep, dark, lonely, you know, scary pit where in this pit there's no life. There's not a lot of good in this pit. There's no job promotions in this pit. There's only destruction. And he says, I, I felt like I was in the miry clay or quicksand, if you will. Like, I felt like I was sinking. I'm not going up in the world. I'm going down. I'm falling. I couldn't get out of this rut. I can't gain momentum or any traction. But rather, again, I'm stuck and sinking. And it's in that season of his life where he's reflecting upon and he says in verse one again, I waited 
patiently for the Lord, and he heard, or he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Now, let me ask you, how many times when you are in a terrible season or a tough situation in your life, an ongoing trial, that, that never-ending bad dream, when you feel like you're stuck in life, how many times do you just love the waiting period, the waiting process? Like, not, not at all, right? Like, like you know, you, no one just says, okay, Lord, like, you know, my life is horrible right now and, and I'm really struggling, but I'm just going to wait on you. Like, I just love this. Like, that, that's not like the, the, our first reaction in our flesh. Like, for me, and I've, and I've shared this with you many times, like, I am super impatient. I, I hate lines, period. Like, I hate waiting, when I'm in traffic, and my wife can attest to this, when he hit the freeway and there's tr crazy traffic, like old Ryan, like fleshly Ryan comes out and I get stressed out and I'm like, GPS, how can I get around this? And like, how can I maneuver this? When, I, when, I, you know, when I'm on my way to the office and I go through the Dutch Brothers line and like, the line is wrapped around the parking center, you know, or the, the, the shopping centers, like no one likes that. <laughs> Especially when we haven't had our first cup of coffee in the morning, right? But we hate waiting. We don't wait as Americans, we hate it, definitely not patiently. And David is saying right out the gate though, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. But what does that mean? That's my first question. What does that mean to wait patiently? The, the Hebrew word is kavah, and it means to bind together like a rope. I found that interesting. To bind together like a rope, and then the other part of it is to expect I waited patiently for the Lord. I bound together like a rope to the Lord with expectation. Oh, I like this. And then he says, and he heard my cry. And you've got to think of David's life. David knew a thing or two about waiting, didn't he? I mean, you think about when he was young, we, we think maybe between 10 to 15 years old, he got anointed to be the next king of Israel. It didn't happen right away. He didn't get crowned king right away. He had to wait. And then he, he, remember, he was on the run for 10 years from Saul. Saul's his maniac king, um, his predecessor, if you will, and just trying to kill him. He's on the run at, before he was ever crowned. He knew what it was like to wait and to wait patient. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we think, or I think of waiting, you know, sometimes you just think of like chilling out or just doing something to, to kill time or pass time. Or, or you think maybe you're in the waiting room of a doctor's office and you're flipping through like People Magazine or something. You're just, you're just like, I'm just doing this so that time flies. But that's not what David is saying here. What David is saying is like, get up. Get going, wrap, in our context, wrap yourself around Jesus and start expecting him to move in your life, in your situation, at any given moment. It means to expectantly wait as you hope for God's promises to be fulfilled on your behalf in his timing, in his timing. But it's that expectation and again, we don't know the exact season of life that David's in. I mean, throughout the course of his life, he's been in intense battles on the battlefield, killing Goliath. Before that, just as a shepherd boy, fighting off like bear and just animals coming against him, lions. And he's gone through seasons of consequence. And we've kind of, we've talked a lot about that in the, the last five months. Seasons of consequence where, that he's brought on himself for the, through sin, Various seasons of sin that he was in, but what, again, whatever it is, he's in this pit of destruction. The New Living calls it a pit of despair. But we don't know, but what we do know, I should say, is that he's waiting patiently on the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord, 
And that leads me to my next question for us is for you and for me, have, we, have you ever been in a situation like that in your life? Like what David is here, a horrible thing just going on in your life. You're just feeling like you're in that pit of despair. Listen, maybe some of you tonight you're going through, you're just like, I feel like I'm in that pit of despair, that deep, dark pit. And for each of us, it can be very different things. But I want us to learn from David. What did David do in this situation? He says, again in verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord and then he inclined to me and heard my cry. That word and is more like because of this, this happened. David wasn't like, you know, I was just super impatient. I was like, dad, 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 I need you, I need you, I need you. That's not what David was doing. But he says he bound himself. And I love that, just that, that visual. He bound himself to the Lord. He sought the Lord. He listened for the Lord. He waited patiently. He waited expectantly. And then he says, then. It was then that the Lord inclined to me and heard my cry. I love that word inclined. Anytime that we've gone over it in the Psalms, I love it. And I love the visual picture that it provides of just a father bending low his ear to his child in a time of need. And a lot of you dads, you know that feeling. You know what it's like to, to give your child special attention. You know, you can maybe see the, the, their heartache on their face and they're just, they're going through something just as a kid. And, and those times when you, you bend low and you want to hear. But notice it first started with waiting patiently. Listen, God's leaning in was a direct result of the way that David cried out to him. But that's not all. That was just the beginning. David cried. God heard. And then David's testimony continues. In verse 2, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. David is saying, not only did the Lord bend himself low to me, to hear me, not only did he give me his undivided attention like a good father that he is when I waited patiently for him, but he acted, he delivered me, he responded. You know, no amount of money could have gotten me out of this situation. No amount of manipulation could have gotten me out of this situation. No pleading and begging friends to come to my aid could get me out of this situation. No, no, no. Lord, it was you who delivered me. I called, you answered. And David says, he brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, just that very thing that was plaguing me, the thing that was tormenting me, the thing that scared me, he pulled me out of it. And then not only did he save me from destruction, but notice that what he says, he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. I love that. And isn't that what the, what the Lord does in our lives when we give our lives to him? Not only does he save us from whatever lifestyle that we were in, we were pursuing the passions, the lusts of the flesh, our lives were miserable. Not only does he save us out of that, not only does he call us out of darkness, but he brings us into his marvelous light, right? And I love that, where Jesus becomes our rock. So not only are we out of the quickstand, we're on firm foundation, and then he says in verse three, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Again, this is just another byproduct of what happened when David waited patiently on the Lord. When he, when he, when he bound himself to the Lord, the Lord gave him another song to sing. And I love that. 
as David is just thinking upon this situation in his life where God had just come through for him in a huge way, it led David to praise. It led him to worship. It led him to declare the worship of God. That's what worship means, to declare God's goodness, his faithfulness. And who knows, maybe what I was thinking, like, who knows, maybe this was the song that the Lord gave to David. David, tell this story. This is the one, and this is the new song that he, he's writing for the choir director to be sung publicly. Just David recapping God's past faithfulness, penning new music, and he sends it off to the choir director. He's like, guys, we've got to sing about that. I can just imagine that. G. Campbell Morgan said this, the suffering servant of God always becomes the singing one. For as the secret of song is ever that of waiting for God, doing the will of God, in and through suffering, the result is always deliverance and the issue a song. I love that. And notice that it wasn't just for David's benefit. He says at the end of verse three, that many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Again, all just this byproduct, a result of waiting on the Lord, the testimony of God working in David's life, not only impacted David, but it impacted the lives of others. And they're inspired to fear the Lord, to place their trust in him. And this is what, when we share our testimony, when we share our story of what God has done for us, how he's been faithful, how he plucked you out of the mire, how he saved you and rescued you out of your pit of despair. When we share that, Lord willing, it inspires others to be like, man, I'm in my own place of despair. I'm in my own miry quicksand that I just feel like I'm sinking in my life. I want to turn to the Lord and give my life to the Lord. And that's what we see here. Many are fearing the Lord. They're trusting the Lord. Verse four, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. That's a good one to, to highlight and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. And again, David's sharing his stories and guys, I was in this horrible place. Well, again, whether sin or circumstance that led him there, I waited patiently. I bound myself with a rope to him, waited expectantly for him to respond. I trusted him. I didn't panic. I trusted him. And now he says, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. This, this, again, this wasn't simply ideology for David. This wasn't theory for David. This is his real life personal experience, his relationship with the Lord. And he says, how blessed is that man? How happy is that man who has made the Lord his trust? That's a good thing to think about and to apply to our lives. You know, trusting God didn't cause David more misery. <laughs> trusting God didn't cause him more heartache or anxiety or angst, but binding himself to the Lord in this season brought only about happiness in his life. This is my testimony, David is saying. Notice verse five again. Many, O Lord, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak them, they would be too numerous to count. David's in this place and he's, as he's reflecting on the mighty hand of God in his life over the years. Lord, you've been so powerful. You've been so wonderful. 
He says, many are, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts, he says, toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too num- numerous to count. David is just blown away that the Lord would even think about him. You know, I think of Psalm, Psalm chapter 8 that we did a couple months ago, you know, when David is describing creation and, and the greatness of, of the universe where he, would, where he would write, what is man? You know, in God, in light of all of creation, in light of all that you've done, what is man that you would be mindful of him, that you would take thought of him, and the son of man that you would care for him? What is man? You know, I think of like, for you and I, just in a, in a I don't know, little analogy in our, in our terms, like if someone like important or powerful were to think of you, like, wouldn't that be a, kind of amazing? Like you just like the next um, press conference that the president gives. And he's like, you know, I was just thinking about Gary. <laughs> like, that'd be kind of cool. I mean, you might not appreciate that, but you know, that'd be kind of cool. Like Mike would appreciate that. Mike would be like, dude, that'd be sick. Like, <laughs> The president, like he's thinking of me, like that's incredible. <laughs> you know, I think of like, you know, Jeff Bezos, powerful man. Now you wouldn't appreciate this one, Mike, but uh, you know, <laughs> he's just like, you know, I really thought of Ryan when I created Amazon, like that'd be awesome. Like, yeah, you're welcome by the way. Like, no, that would just be cool. But David is saying here is like, how much more awesome, how much more awesome than, all, than a powerful CEO, than the president of the United States of America, that the Lord thinks of us. David had this understanding that the Lord thought of him and thought of him continually. And David, he says, there's none, not Jeff Bezos, not presidents. There's none to compare with you. You know, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Psalms that David wrote is Psalm 139. And it's there that David says, you know, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great or vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sands of the sea. That's amazing. So, you know, so many times in our lives when we blow it, when we, when we go through difficulties or um, trials, challenging seasons that are just testing our faith, the enemy sometimes, I don't know if it's like in your life that it is like in mine, but he's going to tell you and lie to you like, hey, God's forgotten all about you. Like he, he, he's moved on to, to his other kids that he cares more about. They're less challenging for him or whatever. But listen, David says that can't be more farther from the truth. And he's speaking from experience. He says, God thinks about you. He thinks about you. He hasn't forgotten. He's, he's, he's mindful of you. And maybe you're going through just a difficult time in your life and you, you just can't feel the presence or the nearness of the Lord. And you're wondering, well, maybe he has abandoned me. Maybe he, he stopped listening to me. Listen to these words. The Lord is thinking about you. He's mindful of you. He sees you. He sees your hurt that you're go, you go through. He sees your confusion, what you've been through, your brokenness in your life. The Bible says before that we were born, we were formed in the womb. He knew you. He knew us. He's been watching us. And David says his thoughts toward us are too numerous to count. Be reminded of that. That's a wonderful truth. Verse six, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Now, these are some interesting verses for many reasons. 
They might be, you know, at face value, a little confusing because what is David saying here? Look at, again, just quickly at verse six, sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. Or maybe your translation says you have not delighted. And then he goes on at the end, burn offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Now, what's interesting is that David is writing under the old covenant where burnt offerings, sin offerings were required. They were required by the law. All these sacrifices were demanded of the Jews. So, so what David is saying here when he says, Lord, you don't desire these things. You don't delight in these things. You don't require these things. You know, when you, when you read that, it can kind of seem um, contradictory or, or conflicting. But listen, David is not minimizing the biblical commands under the old covenant to do these kinds of offerings and sacrifices and bring them to the Lord. But I want you to notice this. What he is instead doing is he's emphasizing the heart, having the right heart attitude related to those things. He says, sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired or delighted. My ears you have opened. In other words, you, you've opened my understanding to the reality of what you want in these things. What David understood is what God is looking for when it comes to sacrifices, listen, is an attitude that cares about the reason that the sacrifices are even given. You see, even though Israel was commanded to bring sacrifices to the Lord under the old covenant, they got into a thing called ruts, <laughs> where it just became kind of like this everyday thing. And we know a little bit about ruts, you know? You just slip into this meaningless ceremonial religion. Can you guys relate to that at all? You, kind of, you come to church, <laughs> you're here on Sundays, you sing songs. You listen to a Bible study. You know the time in the song to raise your hand at the right spot and the catchy chorus. You, you, you write notes during the sermon. You don't even fall asleep. Like, you know, it's very easy, but then you leave and it has no effect on your life whatsoever. It makes no difference at all. It hasn't changed you. It's religion. It's empty religion. And that's what the Jews, they often got involved in. And David is referring to that empty kind of religious practice where people just kind of thought, hey, I can live my life however I want. And then the next time the feast comes around or the festival comes around, I'll bring my offering and God will be delighted in my offering or my sacrifice. And David is saying, listen, God is not delighted with those sacrifices. He doesn't de delight or desire those types of offerings. Why? Because what the Lord wants more than anything else is heart obedience. Heart obedience. You, th you think of the story in 1 Samuel where King Saul was, was commissioned. He was commanded by the Lord to go and just wipe out the Amalekites. All of them. Utterly destroy both men, women, children, like oxen, sheep, everything. Like do not leave anything alive. But Saul didn't do that. He spared the king of the Amalekites, Agag. He saved the best oxen, the best sheep, the best lambs. And Saul, he's, he's all proud of himself. And then Samuel comes to him to go confront Saul. Saul, what did you do? And Saul's like, what do you mean? Like, this is amazing. Like, I, I left the best. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel's like, no, like, what? Is, what? Look, at, look at 1 Samuel. It'll be on the screen, 15. This is Samuel telling Saul in his rebuke. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sac sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen 
than the fat of rams. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living. It says, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. And this is what David is saying more than any sacrifice you can give him as mere worship, as routine worship. He wants your heart. He wants your obedience. He doesn't want your, you know, your empty religion that has no effect on your life. He wants your heart. He wants your affection. He wants your attention. You know, God put together the sacrificial system in the Old Testament so that people would be moved. They would move, be moved towards repentance, that they would see the bloody sacrifice and it would, it would just stir them that it would stir them to have this heart of thanksgiving and gratefulness that God, you know, is a, a forgiving and merciful God. But they lost sight of that and they just went through the motions, the empty religious practices. And that's what David is saying. God wants your heart. Look at verse seven. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written or your law is within my heart. Now, what's super interesting about these verses is much more than them being simply words about David and his life, these verses actually take on a much more significant meaning as the writer of Hebrews uses these words to describe Jesus. Look at this, it'll be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, therefore when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have, no, you take, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. It's as if Jesus is saying, here I am. Like, I'm the one. And the writer of Hebrews makes this personal quotation of Jesus, just declaring that these verses in the Psalms is actually fulfilled in the person of Jesus himself. It says, in the scroll of the book, it's written of me. It's all about Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament all written about him. Look at verse nine. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. David, David is just telling the Lord, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've been so faithful to me. I haven't hidden that fact in my life. I've shared it. In fact, I've praised you publicly over it. Verse 11, you, O Lord, you will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see they are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. So David is just crying out, Lord, I need you. I needed your forgiveness. I, I need your forgiveness, and I'm going to need your forgiveness. Why? Because he says, my iniquities, 
my sins, they've overtaken me so much that I can't see. They're more numerous than hairs of my head and my heart, he says, has failed me. So Lord, be merciful to me. Let your love preserve me. Don't leave me in my sins. And there's a lot of them here, but deliver me. Verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. So as David is making his plea to the Lord to deliver him, he says, make haste. Like, Lord, this is urgent here. I need you to rescue me now. Remember, this is the context of the Psalm. David felt as if he was in this pit of destruction. In the miry clay, we, uh, we, don't, we don't know what exactly, but here David is saying, there's real people, they're coming at me, they're seeking harm, they're seeking to destroy my life. And he says, Lord, would you stop them? Would you not have them have victory? Would you have them not have victory over me? Would they be the ones who would be humiliated? Not me, not my life. Verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. I love this. Here David is just calling the people to, to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, guys. He says, any of you out there who love the salvation of the Lord, he says, rejoice. Let's say together, let the Lord be magnified. You know, as they worship, as they just proclaim the goodness and, and, and greatness of God, David likens their worship to magnification. And I've said before a few weeks ago that magnification doesn't actually make an object or, or, or a person larger or bigger. The same goes for God. We can't make him any bigger than he already is. But to magnify something is to perceive it as bigger. And David is saying, guys, let's do this together. Any, any one of you who, who would love the salvation of the Lord, let's magnify him. Let's see him as he is. Because listen, here's the reality. When we see God as he truly is, then we can truly trust him for what only he can do. If we don't see him as he is, why would we call out to him to deliver us? But Lord, let us see you. Let us see you as your, as provider, as defender, as fill in the blank, as protector. Lord, let us see you that way, that you can do anything, that you're sovereign, that you're in control of it all. If we start seeing the Lord in that light, then it affects our prayer life. Lord, okay, because of that, would you do this? But if we have a, a, a small view of God, well, that's pathetic. But if we have a small view of God, we're not, I mean, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. Look at verse 17. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. David just mentioned earlier in this chapter how much the Lord thought of him. And he said, that, you know, that his thoughts are just too numerous to count. And here he closes this chapter by saying, Lord, would you continue to be mindful of me? Would you continue to be mindful? Why? Because you're my help. You're my deliverer. And I'm desperate for you. And I'm needy for you. I love, and just in verse 17, I love how he started that. Well, since I'm afflicted and needy, <laughs> like you guys ever feel that way? Like, Lord, me again, <laughs> like I'm needy. <laughs> would you be mindful of me? Lord, would you keep thinking about me? I love that. As we move to chapter 41, the last 
chapter in this collection of psalms. Chapter 41 is not one of those pretty psalms, unfortunately. (laughs) It's not filled with amazing, like just flowing worship toward the Lord. This psalm is written in heartache and pain. You know, many scholars uh, believe that this was written about and around Absalom and Ahithophel. You know, remember Ahithophel, Absalom is, is David's son that turned on him. Ahithophel was David's gifted and valued counselor. Maybe a right-hand man, just a trusted resource. The Bible tells us that Ahithophel's, you know, word seemed as wise as though it had directly come from the mouth of God. That's Ahithophel to David. So this guy was valuable to him, a great counselor over the years. But Ahithophel was not some just random guy. What we find out in scripture is that he had a granddaughter, granddaughter by by the name of Bathsheba. And we know the story of David and Bathsheba, don't we? And we don't need to get into that. Where David ruined Bathsheba's marriage. I mean, it takes two to tangle. I get that. We We won't get into that, but... It becomes just this thing that has caused bitterness in Ahithophel's life, anger towards David. I mean, David had violated his granddaughter, destroyed her marriage, but here's the thing. Ahithophel knew David. He knew that David was God's anointed, but he allowed this bitterness in his heart to cause him to commit treason. So he he joined with Absalom. He turned his back on David. Uh, He assisted Absalom in, in overthrowing the kingdom. And so David, he has this great sense of, of re- reaping what he has sown throughout the course of his life. He, he admits that he's sinned. He, he's pleaded with God for his mercy. But let's just dive right in and we'll pick up this tragedy of a psalm as it, as it moves forward. He says, how blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth And do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. And so uh, David says, interesting start to this chapter. He says, how blessed is he who considers the helpless. The word considers just implies giving careful thought to a person's situation. And And we find all throughout scripture. Where, where the Lord looks graciously on those who remember the less fortunate. You know, in fact, he speaks over and over again about the orphan and the widow. You know, if you mess with the least of these, like you're going to mess with me. That's how the Lord cares about the vulnerable. I think of James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this, to visit orphans, to visit widows in, in their distress. And so David has a, has a great sense. Yeah, like, yes, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I know this. But I know that the Lord blesses those who take care of the less fortunate. And David, he's not faking, he's not faking this. Like he's just like, well, I'm desperate and I need God, so I'm just gonna throw up, just kind of like, Lord, I, I care for the poor, I promise. Like, that's not David here. This has been David's history. You think just a couple of weeks ago we talked about David being in the in the cave of Adullam. Remember, he was just in a, in a horrible spot himself in life. He finds himself in the cave of Adullam, and, and who comes to him? They have 400 guys, and these aren't, like, these aren't the brightest bunch. These are the guys who are in debt. They're in distress. They're, they're discouraged. They're discontent. Whatever. These guys are not like grade A. But David, he doesn't dismiss them, but he, he pours into them. They had nothing to offer to David, but David tells them, hey, listen. Remember he calls them children, even though he's like younger than them. Listen, guys, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Remember that? 
and he pours into them. He turns them, honestly, he turns them into the greatest army that Israel has ever seen. And so David knew this about the Lord. He knew that the Lord blesses those who take care of the needy, blesses those who take care of the, the weak, the vulnerable. And then he goes on to list several things, several blessings, if you will, direct results from someone who considers the helpless. He says, the Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth and do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. And we're not told over, you know, in scripture, if you're going through Kings or even Chronicles, we're not told much about David's physical sickness. And here, here we see that David, though, is trusting that God would bless him in his life, that God would take care of him because of how he took care of the helpless. Now in verse four, he begins to talk about the suffering and, and betrayal of others. Look at this. Verse four, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal my soul. Notice his affliction. Man, he's feeling it deep. Heal my soul, not just my physical body. Why? For I've sinned against you. David owning his sin here. I think of Psalm 51, you know, against you and you alone have I sinned. That's what David's saying here. That's why, that's why he's, he's pleading for the grace, the mercy of the Lord to heal him. He says in verse five, my enemies speak evil against me. When he, will he die and his name perish? That's what they're saying. They're taunting me with this. And when he comes to see me, verse six, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers wickedness to itself. And when he goes outside, he tells it. He's saying, even when they come, they pretend that they care about me. They're concerned about me. And, and you know, just whatever I'm going through. But when they leave my door, they're spreading lies. They're spreading rumors. Oh, David, man, he's on his deathbed. David's, David's getting ready to kick the can. And, 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 and you know, he's going to die soon. And so they're spreading all of these lies about him. And David's just going to the Lord about this. I love this. Verse 7. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt, saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise again. So what we gather here is that David is really physically sick. And these people in his kingdom, they see it and they're looking for an opportunity, man. They're opportunists. They're looking, hey, we're going to get the nation on our side, in our hands. We're going to gain power. We're going to scheme. And they're whispering these horrible things about David. They're saying, David, you know, David probably deserved this sickness. Or David might be even being afflicted by the devil here. That's what's causing this. And the worst part about it is that they're not even sad. They're not even mourning they're not comforting to David. They're scheming. Oh, here's our opportunity. This is a pretty bad situation. I mean, even if you are on your deathbed, <laughs> this is not what you want to be hearing that these voices, you know, who used to be on your side are no longer on your side. But listen, it gets worse. Look at verse 9. This is a painful verse. He says, even my close friend, this is who we, I believe that he's referring to Ahithophel here. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. My close friend and whom I trusted, even he turned on me. Just think how painful this must be for David. Not only, you know, are just there, there are just a few guys who have turned on him in this season of weakness, but now my closest friend, the one who I, you know, I thought would just be on my side through thick and thin throughout all the years. We, you know, we spent time together, years together. 
I shared my heart. He shared his heart. We had great fellowship together. Him, Lord? But isn't this life? Life is painful and unexpected. And in David's life, he's experienced many pains, but I can only imagine that this had to be one of the toughest for David. Yeah, losing a child, that's really tough. That is, having a son turn on you, like, yeah, this is tough. Ahithophel, his trusted advisor, his counselor, joining forces with Absalom, his son, to overthrow the kingdom. But this is real life stuff. This is painful. Verse 10, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me because my enemy does not shout and triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and you set me in your presence forever. Let me ask you, what do you do with betrayal? What do you do when someone stabs you in the back? Who hurts you? What do you do? Again, this is real life stuff and the Lord, he kept it in scripture for us to, to learn from it. What do you do? Do you get even? Do you start the, your own gossip train about them? Do you, get, you start sharpening your knives? Do you get down into the gutter? Or do you take it to the Lord? Do you take it to the Lord like David says, God, I not only need forgiveness in my life and I need a lot of it. I not only need grace in my life, but would you just deliver me out of this? Would you do it? I can't do it. Would you protect me? Would you not let them triumph over me? Like I'm powerless. I am helpless. I am needy. David says in verse 12 again, as for me, Lord, you uphold me in, in, in my integrity and you set me in your presence forever. You know, this is the most important thing to David. More than getting even, more than um, triumphing over his own enemies and seeing them suffer, the most important thing to David was being in the presence of God forever, having a right relationship with the Lord, purity in heart, purity in fellowship, in right standing with God. And you set me in your presence forever. And then he ends the chapter with praise. And some, you know, some, some people think that maybe this is actually not really part of the chapter, but this is just the benediction, the, the doxology, if you will, at the end of the book. But regardless of what it is, it's God's word. And he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Let the Lord be glorified. And that's the first book, the first collection, if you will, of Psalms ending with that doxology, the song of praise. As we close tonight, Janet's gonna come up. Gonna end with a couple, maybe a song or two. If you find yourself in a season or at a place where you're struggling, and this struggle in your life can be anything, for each of us, it's probably very, very different. Some of you, you might feel like tonight you're in that pit of despair, the miry clay. Life is hard. It's not changing. You don't see a light at the end of the tunnel out of this season. Maybe that could be where you're at tonight. Or maybe 
you feel like David is in chapter 41. You're just, you're feeling stabbed in the back. You're having relational issues. You're struggling hard. You're hurting with your relationships. Maybe someone super close to you has, has hurt you. I want to end by saying this. That the Lord sees and the Lord loves you. As we heard tonight, he thinks about you. Not only does he think about you, but he acted to show you, you know, that he loves you. You know, what is the sum of his love? You know, oh, if the Lord loved me, you know, he would do this for me. He would give me that job or motion. Oh, if the Lord loved me, he would give me a spouse. If the Lord loved me, he would get me out of this life <laughs> situation that won't end, you know. But the Lord has shown us his love for us. I think of 1 John 4, 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's in his love that he gave us Jesus who bore our sins on the cross. Why? So that we can have a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God, as David says, be in his presence forever. And you might hear this, and, and, and as I was even writing this out, I was struck because I have issues in my life. I have things going on in my life that I'm struggling through. And so I come to this, oh, Jesus loves me. That's really, really? That's what you're going to leave us on? <laughs> I'm, going through, I'm going through health issues. I'm going through financial issues. I'm going through relational tensions. And you just want to tell me Jesus loves me? What is that, a Band-Aid? I know that by saying Jesus loves you and, and, and saying that over you tonight does not take away the pain that you might be in. It doesn't. And it doesn't take away the struggle. But this is how I concluded from my own life, that if God does so love us so very much that he was willing to crush his son for us, to turn his face away. When Jesus was on the cross, he, he, he bore our sin, he bore our shame. God the Father had to look away abandoning Jesus, if he was willing to do that for us and we can trust in Jesus tonight for our salvation, how much more can we trust him in our everyday lives for the trial, for the struggle, for the relationship, tensions that we go through? So if we can trust him for our salvation on the cross, he's calling us tonight, trust him in the everyday circumstances in your life. Wait patiently for him. Bind yourself like a rope to Jesus tonight and wait expectantly for him to act. Amen. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in the middle of our mess, in the middle, just heavy laden with a burden. We can come to you and Lord, we want to yoke up to you. You say your, your burden is easy and light. And we want to strap onto you and we want to wait on you expectantly, not passively, not, oh, yeah, yeah, God will. No, 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 God is going to move in my life. We don't know when, but you are going to move, whether we see it or not. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust you fully and completely. And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room, you know what, where each of us are at. And I just pray, God, that they would see you, that tonight as we worship you, their hearts would say, oh, magnify the Lord with me, that you, we would see you as you are. 
high and lifted up, sovereign and in control. And they can trust you with whatever it is that they're going on in their life, Lord. We thank you that we can run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing this song.